Hey, listeners, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and this is Talk With Me, and this is almost the end of May 2018, which is quite astounding. It actually feels more like July in terms of temperatures around here, but that's something else. So we just had Lawrence's big old busker festival, always cool things going on. I, I love being in Lawrence for that reason, just different things that are interesting and like, I haven't ever experienced that. Oh, wait, I can, you know, getting out and doing things, being around people, that is good, good stuff. And what I find is that when I get out and I'm talking to people and meeting people, the people who I'm really drawn to are those people who are really about connecting with other people. And so my guest today is one of those people. This, you know, I think about Rhonda Miller. We, we've known each other through so many different parts of our lives, you know, as adults, but for different, different things, different experiences. And Rhonda is amongst many things, a wonderful poet who, who I, I love the way that, that Rhonda is personal, and at times funny, and at times sexy in her poetry and in real life, and and all these different things. And it makes me drawn to her work, as well as to Rhonda as a person. And and she's doing these great things in Kansas with other authors. Um, And it goes back to, I, I remember when I was reading Poems on the Range by Karen Miriam Goldberg about the year when Karen was Poet Laureate of Kansas, which was the same year when the governor cut the funding for the arts program that actually housed the Poet Laureate program. And Karen still did all those amazing things that Poets Laureates do, and that included traveling. And Rhonda was one of the poets who went to a lot of places during that year with Karen. And I didn't even know that, even though I'd known Rhonda for a long time before I read that book. And so I'm reading this book like, oh, my gosh, Rhonda was one who did this. Anyway, welcome, Rhonda. I'm so glad to get to talk to you today. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Marsha. It's always my pleasure. And you're correct. We have known each other through uh, quite a few years now. I think about a dozen years at least. So, and and you really do so many things out of your generous spirit and many talents. And you know, it's like when people talk to you about different things that you have done for your jobs, even during the years, it's like, wait, how did this one woman do all these different things? This is pretty amazing. So so I'm going to ask you, as I always do with my guests, I'm going to ask you to tell our guests a, a few things about you, a little bit of perspective about who Rhonda Miller is in 2018. I am a survivor of suicide losses and of attempted suicide and of homicide loss and um I have always had an interest in children and families. I'm quite sure because my childhood uh, and family life was very disruptive early on. Um, And I've also always had an interest in writing. Initially, it was creative writing and more on the order of short stories. Um, So my degrees at the University of Kansas were in child development and in creative writing. And I find myself all these years later still um, very active working with children, um, kind of specialized in children with special needs and then um, with writing. But I switched to poetry about a dozen years ago. I I went through a phase, Marcia, where I didn't write much. I think I was so busy getting my own children raised as a single mom, and I was just drained. You kind of know how that, that is when you're working full-time and, and raising your children. So I think that the poetry um, was a way um, that it kind of took over. It said, okay, you are you don't have the time to write your short stories or novels, but um, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen now. So and that's the way my poems tended to be at that time, kind of in the middle of the night or in the shower, and and they really wouldn't leave me alone until I wrote them down. But as you know, they have been very healing for me, as we know for so many other people, um, spoken word and, and uh, writing and being able to express ourselves with our own um, unique voices has really made a difference in my life. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, and and you are right. That is that is really what drew me to poetry because as I kind of stumbled upon some poems, and I say that almost literally, uh, but it was through the internet, not through uh, real life stumbling. Um, I found poems around topics that were really important to me. And that is what brought me to trying to find out, well, what's going on right here around me? Who are the poets? What are they saying? And that's when I started hearing people say spontaneously, you know, this saved my life. And and that healing aspect is so true. And, and I want to give a shout out to you because, as you know, um, when I was asked by um, Dave Ranny, who does a volunteer program with women in prison, when I was asked by Dave to help with um, a, a workshop he was going to do with women who are incarcerated around the theme of their experiences with suicide, one of your poems was one of the few that, that got through the gates, <laughs> so to speak. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm surprised. Did they slip it under the gate or over the I, gate? I think they were kind of struggled, but best I could tell, because they've had me choose a selection of poems, and I wanted to to represent, you know, I chose, well, I chose you and Wolfgang Karstens and Annette Billings, and poems that, that spanned that struggle and hope and loss and attempts, and, and so we were limited on how much room they could take on a page in terms of how many pieces of paper he could get into the prison. And this is really true. Uh, we couldn't get whole books in. <laughs> <laughs> you were writing very small. <laughs> but they needed to be legible, you know. It's like, what size font can you use? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thankful that you chose one of mine to go in for the group. Uh, I think you're talking about probably the poem Mama Slam, and I know I actually had a chance to read that um, at the local prison when I went in with Brian Deldorf and mm-hmm. Mike Hartnett, who's now District 2 president locally, but uh, Mickey Carroll of a, a group in North Lawrence that I don't frequent nearly often enough, but I'm a part of. Um, she, I know, said that she had read it to some women um, prisoners in the, in the system where they go, and I think Iris uh, Craver also um, does that or has done that, and she yeah. said they, you know, really identified with that poem, so yeah. it made me feel um, glad that something that I had experienced and was able to vocalize was able to, um, you know, resonate with some other people. Yeah, and perhaps... Would you? Do you happen to have Mama Slam by you? Since we're mentioning that, I can find it very quickly. Yes, that is one of my more intense poems for sure. But I think yeah. I've got yeah, I've got a copy of Moonstain close by here. Take me just a second to find Mama Slam. Um, so Mama Slam was from the book Moonstain, which was published by Meadowlark Books um, in 2015. And uh, I know um, it was such a healing one for me to not only read or to to write, but also to read at some of our events that you are, um, you know, the the person who puts together. Um, and that's been very instrumental for everybody else. It's one of those things that, you know, the, when I hear somebody else reading something deep and personal, then it gives me permission to, to go even deeper. Mm-hmm. So, I have found Mama Slam. Mama, when you killed yourself when I was three, you weren't thinking about me or my brother and sister. When we should have been eating your birthday cake, every was pl- everyone was planning your funeral with no thought to what would become of us, who would raise us, feed us, and especially love us. If you had stuck around, you'd have seen none of those things happened. I was left to grow wild and free, allowing every stranger to put his dick in me. That's how badly I needed to feel love. When it wasn't some rock-hard cock, it was a needle booted in and out of my arm instead of some dainty charm bracelet you should have been presenting me. You left me alone in the cold snow so I could live with all kinds of bad families. Some of them would not even talk to me. They didn't know what to say. I began cutting my way free. I severed every cord, downing pills, stealing records and clothes. When that didn't work, I did my best to become you, because all mothers are perfect in death. They are called angels, and their hair always looks good with no passage of time. 
but I couldn't be you. I was stuck with me. I even hired someone to kill me. That's how badly I needed to be set free. If you're in heaven looking down on me, then understand, please. I have done my best to be my own mother. I darn socks and sing myself to sleep. I don't need to keep those early memories of you. What I do need, and this is a plead, is for you to understand how proud I always wanted you to be. My anger has finally been set free. I don't have to kill myself because I'm not you. I'm me. You know, and, and when you started, before you started reading that one, you said how other people's poetry has has sort of given you permission. And what I know, and you know, too, is that for people who experience your poetry, whether it's on the page, at a reading, or both, you know, for people who've had some of those experiences, it also gives them that opportunity and that reminder to know they're not the only ones and and they can hold their heads up proudly and do the things and be the person that they are you know with no shame because here's this this woman who's at the mic you know who's saying these things and it's such a relief for people and that's that's why that was one of the poems that i gave to dave uh, to share with the women Uh, yeah thank you you're welcome, and I think it's you know it's so important for us to appreciate that. Very, I, I really can't think of anything that would have happened to someone or something they might have done that not necessarily that I have done or experienced, but it, it's something that as humans we can appreciate on some level and understand. Um, you know, someone gave the, you know, corrected me and said, well, unless it's somebody who's a sociopath, <laughs> and there is that, you know, we. We may not uh, be able to appreciate or understand someone who has that line of thinking because it's so alien from our own. But certainly life experiences, particularly things that happen to us that are out of our control that we didn't bring on ourselves, I think we can all empathize, you know, with that and understand on some level how painful that might have been or how um, life-changing it might have been. And even, like, in this particular poem, you refer to things that you did or tried to do both and things that some people might say well you know how can she be a good person and this and that and what we know this is part of what comes through in that poem and you know I think about it directly in in my social work with people that you know that there's no shame in doing the things that were the only things you knew how to do the best way that you knew to stay alive to cope to whatever you know it's it's that it's having empathy for ourselves as well as other people. And as I say that, that that sort of moves aside still that category of people who truly don't have empathy. Um, that's the right thing. But but for the the huge majority of us, yeah, sometimes we do some things and look back and go, man, that wasn't a very good thing to do. But it was also the only thing we could manage to do at that time. And we need to honor that. I know with uh, some of my um, coaching clients from that I deal with who have lost someone to homicide, they will do some of those things, same things um, and will ask me, you know, please forgive me. And um, I'm, you know, of course, absolutely willing and do give my forgiveness. But I remind them that particularly if it was something like uh, promiscuity or, um, you know, drug abuse, that they were doing the best that they could and if they were a young child and had a good relationship with their parent and had a loss like that they could go crawl in bed with their parent and get love and snuggles and cuddling but as an adult you know they may be reaching out to something that's the opposite sex or the same sex for that matter and you know they're just they're seeking comfort they're trying to get by however they can as John Lennon said you know whatever gets you through the night it's all right and mm-hmm. and I kind of am that same belief system within reason as long as it's not hurting someone else or themselves. Uh And so we're talking about the very serious part of your writing and your life experience. And and I also want to to remind people that none of us are one thing. And so, yeah, this is part of who you are. And then just because there's so much going on, I want you to talk some about this Kansas Authors Club thing, 
how you even got involved and how you, who are, I'm going to guess from just the little glimpses I've gotten of some of the people involved with, with the club, you, you sort of push them to be more open, to be more um, open in, in terms of expression that range from the funny to the sexual, to the sad, to the this, to the that, you know, to, to not, not stay in this tight, uh, acceptable range, you know, because that's not who you are. So I want to, I want to hear about, you know, how, how did you even get involved with Kansas Office Club? <laughs> I know, it's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> it's shocking they let me in if they would have had any idea. Um, I found out about Kansas Authors Club uh, when they were hosting a convention at um, just right around the corner from where I live. It's what used to be then the the Holodome, and uh, so I walked over to uh, find out more about it and immediately connected with some of the members like Vicki Julian and and Susie Nightingale, and um, they. Uh, and, you know, invited me to come to movie uh, meetings, and I didn't have a chance to go to any until um, my children's father, Dimitri, was in the hospital, and he had about a month to live with his uh, end-stage cancer. And I asked him, I said, there's a meeting going on. May I go to that? And Because I wasn't leaving him. I was with him 24-7, and he said, yes, you know, by all means do. So I went to that meeting, and they were so embracing and so accepting of the poetry that I read. And... Um, then when I went back to him, it, it freed us up, he and I, to talk about what he would like for his funeral. And he uh, and I actually wrote some poetry together that I then read um, at his celebration of life. So that was a remarkable freeing thing for, for both of us. But um, I was then asked to become state uh, contest manager for the poetry um, contest. And the Kansas Authors Club has yearly state contests that are actually open now through um, midnight of June 15th. So I encourage people to go on to um, kansasauthorsclub.weebly, that's W-E-E-B-L-Y.com, to find out about those contests. There are eight categories for prose and there are eight categories for poetry. And I actually am sponsoring a spoken word poetry contest this year, which we have not had in the past. We are striving very hard to get youth members in, um, membership in, and we are doing a pretty good job of that. And uh, as you know, there's seven different districts across the state of Kansas, and we each one of those takes turns hosting the state convention. And this year it is District 4 who is hosting the convention, and that will be in Salina at the Quality Inn um, it's October 5th, 6th, and 7th, and uh, Kevin Ravis, our current poet laureate, will be the keynote speaker, but they've got all kinds of wonderful workshops from, uh, you know, Roy Beckemeyer uh, is involved in a songwriting um, panel, and mm -hmm. then just some uh, Nancy uh, Kopp, who's an excellent writer and posts items on our Kansas Authors Club Facebook page pretty much daily. Um, so people like that are going to be presenting and there's always a lot of camaraderie. The awards banquet is Saturday night for books and we have five different book categories that people can also submit to poetry and uh, novels and history and they can do that um, also by uh, the end of um, June 15th. But yeah, check if they will check those contests out. There's our youth contests are free, and they are for first graders through uh, high school. And then our adult contests are, if you're a KAC member, Kansas Authors Club member, they're $5 uh, submission, or if you're a non-member but still live in the state of Kansas, then they're $7. So, yeah. Um, I'm excited, and, and I'm going to, right after we, we finish recording, I'm actually going to contact Mark Hennessy because Mark teaches at the Sumner Academy in Kansas City, Kansas, and has been doing some awesome stuff with young poets there. And just in case they aren't already aware of the contest, I want to make sure they become aware. And guess who are judges? Uh, you probably know Matt from Topeka, our That's spoken word poet. 
Yep, he is our judge. So I was just thrilled when I contacted him, and and of course he's so uh, you know open and embracing and uh, encouraging. So I mean he he couldn't we couldn't have a better judge. I think he's been the one poet of the year, or not poet of the year, but one spoken word contest for a couple of times. So nationally. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this year his team, I think they took second, but I know he on his own has been a, a winner in so many different yeah. places and times. Yeah. So, yes, please do. I I uh, would love for you to let Mark know. I've yeah. I've done some readings with him, and he's excellent. So Yeah. For people who don't know, Mark, Mark Hennessy, some people know him because of his band. Uh, it was early on, there was the band Paw, and now it's Godzillionaire. So he's this awesome performer wonderful person, sweet dad, all these things rolled into one. And he ha- he is a doctor, Mark Hennessy, um, was at KU and now teaches at the Sumner Academy in Kansas City, Kansas. And and also writes amazing poetry. Just, I could just obviously I could go on and on, but it's one of those reminders that there are people who are doing these amazing things with their own writing to share. And also, once again, Elevating other people, bringing other people, encouraging other people, which that's that's who I love. Yeah. Well, tell Mark that if he wants me to come in and talk a little bit about Kansas Authors Club for his students, um, I'd be more than happy to do that if he needs needs somebody to do that. So I appreciate that, Marcia. Yeah. Cool. So I have uh, been going around to the different districts. I went to District 7, which was way out there in Colby, and it encompasses St. Francis and Goodland and in the wide open areas of Kansas. Um, I went in last September and uh, did a presentation, and then um, I have done presentations. I will be doing one for our district in Kansas City um, this next uh, June 9th, our next District 2 meeting, and uh, I'll be presenting Writing Your Trauma Without So Much Drama, and that's from 9 to noon at Cornet's Library, 8100 Mission Road, uh, Prairie Village, Kansas. And then I've got uh, uh, something coming up. Uh, do you know Olive Sullivan and Izzy Was- uh, Spine? I don't. Okay, Izzy's... Uh, who teaches in at uh, Washburn in Topeka, and Olive lives in um, Pittsburgh. They'd both be great choices for you to have on your show. Olive just has a new book called Wondering Bones, and uh, or Wondering Bone, and Izzy has a book called Creation, When Creation Falls, and I will, um, the three of us will be reading together Saturday, July 28th um, at um in Pittsburgh, Kansas, at Eclectic Soul, 601 North Studio, um, and I think that's on or North Broadway, and um, from 4 to 6, but though we have all been published by Meadowlark Books out of Emporium, and I think Tracy Million Simmons would be a great one. She's the, an editor and publisher of the, the um, Meadowlark Books. She'd be a great person to have on also. Um, she, I think, has published Tyler Sheldon's latest book and has done uh, several with um, Cheryl Unruh and has done um, also our, our current poet laureate, Kevin Rabus. So, and she just did uh, one for Karen Goldberg as well. So she's she's really does an excellent job. Um, and then a couple of other things. I'd mentioned that the Kansas State uh, Convention is October 5th, 6th, and 7th in Salina. But I'm really excited. I just found out yesterday that I will be doing my presentation talking to crickets in Plainfield, Vermont at the Power of Words Conference. It's at Transformative Language Arts ah. yeah, October 12th through 14th. I don't know what, exactly which day That's I'll be presenting. That's the weekend as Fountainverse in Kansas City. Oh, bummer. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I've never been to Vermont. I think, as you know, yeah. we all kind of yeah. We're dismissing each other in Wisconsin last year, so I'm I'm very excited to be going to Vermont. I'm every year hoping to go to new and exciting places to do yeah. do uh, spread the word. So, um, and I was going to mention that I have poetry in three anthologies uh, that are just been released or will be released. One of them is um, you know James Benger. He is the yeah. um, driving force. Yeah, the driving creating force behind. 
365 Days Poets. So that book has just been released, and it looks wonderful. Ray Beckemeyer, uh, Dan Pohl, Diane Watto, and um, James were all editors for that. And then uh, our group in uh, North Lawrence with Mickey Carroll and, mm-hmm. and Nancy Hubble and and Kat and who else? I'm trying to think of all their names. Sandy, Sandy Hazlett. Yeah. yeah. We uh, have a book that's called Flash Poems, Poetry, and Prompts. Um, so they get together every for two Sundays a month, and they use prompts just to kind of lift up a empty cake dish bowl and have prompts that people have put in there, and they read the prompt out loud, and then we spend 10, 15 minutes putting, uh, writing a poem, and then we have the read-around of our poems. And so this includes some of those prompts and the poems that, that were um, created from those. And then Karen Goldberg... Uh, has put out her second release of the Kansas Time and Place uh, book. That's an online forum, but she and Roy Beckemeyer were editors for that book, and it is released. So we'll be doing a uh, reading of about 30 poets from that book are coming to town July 21st. Um, I'm sorry, not July 21st, July 28th. And that will be um, the Kansas Time and Place Anthology of Heartland Poetry Reading. And it will be at Watkins History Museum, which is a great place to, to have poetry readings. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a little idea of what's upcoming. And that I go back lot. to so Colby and... Hey, so Rhonda, as you're saying all these things, are all of these, do all of these get posted on your author page so people can actually follow, you know, what where these events are, have an easy place to find them, or the Kansas Authors page, Club page, what's the way for people to know how to find you and these events? They can find them on Rhonda Miller's Poetry page, uh, certainly Kansas Authors Club Facebook page, and Kansas Authors Club uh, website, which is the, the Weebly one. Um, and then, of course, my my also personal page on on Facebook. So yes, we encourage people to be aware of the events. I try to get items sent into the uh, local newspapers and and certainly Lawrence Journal World is great about putting events, upcoming events in on their events calendar Mm -hmm. so they can watch for for them on that area as well. Because you're doing a lot of poetry. (laughs) Yes. I've been enjoying traveling the state of Kansas. I, you'd mentioned Karen Goldberg and her yeah. tour of Kansas, and I had not been to Wichita prior to that, or Ulysses, or Garden City. So, uh, and I've of course been back to those places several times now. But it was nice seeing you know different areas and different parts of Kansas, and I really encourage poets if they've got a new book or wanting a place to read is to go into um, a lot of those smaller town communities have wonderful arts um, centers and they are pretty much starved for literature so they really embrace uh, poets and and prose authors um, and are have been very good about buying probably more books than when I am in bigger cities reading because we kind of have a saturated market I think on this end of the state but St. Francis is where I had graduated from high school and it's way out northwestern Kansas and they have a wonderful uh, art center there that really likes to host uh, poets coming through and and I will be doing their uh, reading there at the same time that I do um, the same weekend that I do one in in Colby in September so really looking forward to that. Yeah. How did you end up being one of the poets who could go with Karen, and as I say, could go, because I think about poets going places to do readings typically are going at their own expense, which means not only are you spending some money, but you're not earning money in the ways that you usually do. So how were you able to go do that time with Karen? I uh, actually, uh, her first book of the Kansas Time Plus Place um, had been released so it was the anthology and um, a lot of the poets from that uh, were deciding to host readings in their hometowns and she was great about picking poets from all over the state so um, uh, one of the poets from Garden City hosted a reading and you know um, some from 
Liz Black from uh, Ulysses got one organized there, and so that and I took a group out to to St. Francis, but so that was how that came about, and and but, it's I mean, just something you just that I the commitment to do it, you know. Yeah, I decided to take yeah took time off from work, and we had since we were traveling together with Karen, it was kind of a the type of thing where you know people brought snacks and chipped in, and mm-hmm. we had my good friend Mark Wolfson was great about supplying a place to stay for everybody out in the St. Francis area. Mm-hmm. We did have to move to a different place because as we went in a room, it said, um, if you're going to get your animals, please make sure you use the uh, black plastic bags that are provided. And we're thinking, okay, we don't want to stay in this place knowing that an animal was gutted here. So we did end up moving oh, to other gosh. motels, a lot of, a lot of deer hunters out in that, that area. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, poets tend to be a sensitive lot. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I just imagined myself on one of those 2020 shows or 60 Minutes going along with one of those special lights that showed blood everywhere on the ceiling and bed and floor. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but it's a fond memory now that it's over with. We're like, yes, we're glad we found that out before as opposed to after the fact. And uh-huh. Likely it happened in the rooms we stayed in anyway. We just weren't alerted to it. So, <laughs> uh, you never know what you're going to find in a small town, Kansas. <laughs> well, and, and this anyway. is outside of Kansas, but the Kansas connection. So, I remember that last year you did a residency and readings in Door County, Wisconsin, right? And the next time you go up there, perhaps. Heidi Rock, who was the owner of Raven Bookstore, she and Steven Anderson are opening their store up there called Yardstick in Algoma, Wisconsin. So so you have a home for reading up there in addition to the residencies. I'm so excited for for that for them. Um, and I absolutely will, you know, be in touch with them should I go that direction again, which I'd like to. I love Store County. What a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much this amount of snow they get in the long winters they have, but um, it is just gorgeous. Uh, so very peaceful, nice area. But yeah, she's she's a wonderful um, inspiration to poets and and authors. And um, uh, I would love to to read at their new place. So I think a lot of us would. There may be a tour of of Kansas poets going um, once she gets set up. I think that would yeah. easily be arranged. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I'm so happy for them, uh, what they're doing up there. That's cool. Yeah. So what are you personally working on in terms of your writing at this point? Do you have some things that are, that are, I don't, well, I don't know about how you, like your writing, as you mentioned, it's, it's when the inspiration and the time are together and you write these poems and then obviously get time to, to get them finalized. Are you, are you working on a volume right now? Is that the way it works? Or is it more like whatever comes, comes, and then I'll figure out how it puts together? Yeah, I'm actually, um, the poems that I write now will be going into my next book of poetry collection called Winds of Time. And uh, But I have been trying to work on completing my memoir called Gun Memories of a Stone-Eyed Coal Girl. I'm supposed to be presenting that at the Colby Library in September, but they said that they want me to have the book written. So <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> someone said that. It tends to put a little more pressure on me, and mm-hmm. uh, I've maybe discussed that with you. I was having a difficult time trying to write it. Not only is it difficult to write because of just the emotionality of it, but also the sequencing of, you know, how do I jump from one uh, part of my life to another because I've had so many different uh, lives mm-hmm. within that span. And I finally decided that I would write each chapter as a complete short story, uh, uh, pun intended, revolving around bullet memory. Mm-hmm. So um, each chapter will be a different different gun memory that I have, or, uh, experience that I've had. And it's been interesting because I have been going places and asking people, 
I'm, they're like, you know, people are like surprised. Do you, you really have that many gun memories to write a whole book about separate ones? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then I'll ask them, do you have gun memories? And initially they'll say no. But as they start thinking, um, it's surprising how many people do have not just one, but several. So I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the where we live, living in the United States, certainly. Yeah. But um most people people do, whether it's, you know, a distant relative that had an incident or, you know, growing up on a farm and a rattlesnake or, you know, a cow that needed to be put down or, um, but yeah, uh, it's, it is, it has been interesting to, to kind of see how many there are. Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I'm doing, it makes it easier for me because then I can put all the other intruding thoughts kind of aside, and uh, I list as gun memories have been coming to me, I will list those and, and kind of putting them in the order as, as I went through them. Mm-hmm. And then that chapter can be totally about that one one gun memory and complete as it is. And so people hopefully will find it easier to pick up the book and can kind of turn about anywhere in it and, and read one chapter and, and get one complete story out of it. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time you've written something that you label as memoir? I mean, obviously your poetry is informed by your experiences. No, I, when I was a creative writing major in, uh, at KU, I was supposed to be writing fiction, and the reality of it was that all of my writing then was also memoir. I just hoped that it was being accepted or viewed on as <laughs> as fiction, which I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure they, you know, had a pretty good clue that, you know, that it was based on fact or, or was an, an actual memoir story. I know I went to David Ole, um I think that's been about a dozen years ago with a couple of chapters of my book and uh, it was written as a, a fiction book then with different characters and he read it and um, he asked me, he said, would you be able to write this as a memoir? And of course I'm thinking, okay, well, that didn't take him long to, to see through it. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I can, but here I am a dozen years later and I haven't. Whereas I think if I would have written that fictionalized, uh, I would have been able to write it much faster. So I tell people when I'm uh, doing presentations on uh, writing your trauma without so much drama, I suggest to them sometimes to either write a slice of life story about something they're trying to capture um, it's because it's briefer and it can sometimes be something that's lighter or more amusing and it gives a lot better indication to see something as a slice of life rather than, than you know, portrayed through our filtered um, mind. But I also tell them that uh, if it's just something very difficult for them to write about some trauma, to do it uh, in a fiction manner, to write it from the second or third person and gives you that distance uh, to be able to write it a little bit more easily. And it can certainly then be easily changed once you get to that point if if they have the desire to do that. Mm -hmm. As you know, journaling is a great way for people to write about trauma as well. And certainly poetry, so however it comes to people. Um, and I, I know artists, certainly musicians and, and dancers who have that great depth of their emotionality and experiences that come through uh, in those forms too, or voice or singing. So, uh, so many beautiful forms of art to convey our life experiences. Yeah. What are you aware of that makes it so different to write as memoir compared to writing basically the same thing as fiction. You know, you're saying. I'm so, what, what was the first part of your question? I'm sorry. Well, you you mentioned how you, if you had written your story as fiction, it would have been something you could have finished a long time ago. But as you write it as memoir, it's it's much different. Um, and and I'm wondering about that. W- what are you aware? What what does it bring up in you to label it memoir to make it 100% clear to people this is experience of your life, as opposed to presenting it fictionalized, where some people would go, well, she must have had this experience. You know, why are those two so different for you as the writer? Yes, and it's interesting you mentioned that because a good friend of mine and District 2 member, Jack Klein, uh, just had written a 
the wonderful novel about uh, a detective back, you know, 100 years, and um, he'd written one segment about the private eye in the, the book's dog being killed. And it was very emotional and immediately made me think of him reading a memoir piece about his horse dying. And he had said, told us that, you know, the death of his horse was harder for him than the death of his mother. And um, so even though I knew, uh, you know, that he didn't have a dog that was killed and he's not a private investigator, I knew that that emotion within that book was real. For me, it's uh, very difficult because I found that uh, as I'm writing the memories for gun memories that I start off actually as an adult um, talking about my niece's death and then uh, at the end of that chapter I you know pretty much decide that I need to go back to the beginning of my life and try to figure out things from the beginning and then I immediately start in with um, you know I, I hear a baby crying and um, I see a man, you know, walking next door to, to sneak into the neighbor's house to steal a loaf of bread. Then I realized that the baby that's crying is me and I'm being held by my mother. And that whole chapter is told through little memory segments like, you know, it's almost my third birthday. My brother and sisters send me into the house to steal eggs. Mom's laying on the couch, lying on the couch with her arms over her head, not noticing what we're doing. And then goes into um, mom, you know, feeds us a lunch of mixed fruit and cheeses and dresses us up and sends us out to play in the snow. And I get cold and start crying. And my sister tries to get in the house and the door's locked. And she looks through the window and, and comes back and says, mommy has spilled ketchup all over. And then that ends with um, my being carried to the front of a room where my mom is in a box and I'm saying, you know, wake up, mommy, wake up. And of course she does not. And uh, I start screaming, that's not my mommy. So that's how that chapter ends. But so I'm doing the book, um, not only in separate chapters, but different um, maturity levels. So I'm writing it from the very earliest uh, consciousness of from a little child, from, you know, those earliest memories of one to two to three in that first chapter. And then the next one says I'm being moved into different family situations and, and things that are happening. Um, I'm gradually advancing in, in intellect and ability to, to um, you know, write and vocalize. So mm -hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's, and I have a lot of court documents, photos of um, my seven stepbrothers and sisters and half-brothers and sisters and, and then my my real brother and sister or full brother and sister, as we've talked about before, we're all, all family, so there's no halves and steps and, and folds, but um, we had all lived together. So I've got uh, photos of them to put in the book and uh, certainly different things from when my dad would be arrested and, and put in jail and um, things from um, my my grandparents believed that he had killed my mother because so often that's easier for people to believe than to believe that their child would have died by suicide. Um, so I've got all of those court uh, documents and letters from my mom's girlfriends that she wrote to them. So I think it'll be, you know, it'll give a pretty accurate account of of that time period of what she was going through and uh, certainly even of just uh, historically I was born on uh, the day that Eisenhower was elected president. So, um, you know, I try to put some of that in uh, as well. So a little bit of historical background. Mm -hmm. So since you have committed to having the book finished before you do that reading in September. <laughs> what, help me, help me write it. Right? <laughs> yeah. When, when do you... When do you hope to have it finished so that you're ready to give it for publication? Well, I need to commit to having it done by the end of June. I wrote oh. a book, a novel. Okay. Uh, it's probably been seven or eight years ago, the month of November, and I just get up every morning an hour early and uh, have coffee with me in front of the computer, close my eyes and do it. Mm -hmm. And I told, I've told myself, I've already got several chapters, of course, written and, and the different chapter titles are listed. So I'm going to just uh, 
do that method, just every day sit down and close my eyes and, and write. And mm-hmm. it's amazing, you know, when you edge that, you know, subconscious and say, you know, got a time constraint, you're a procrastinator, now's your time. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how, how things can come out. But, you know, I don't want it to be just a, a dry, hard story. You know, it needs to have filler. I know I've discussed with... Uh, Professor Oli about, you know, that you do have to take some liberties. You do have to, um, you're not going to remember the conversations when right. you were a child, but you may want to include some conversations, some dialogue. So that part of it, you, you know, kind of create from mm-hmm. um, what you think most likely would have been said or would have occurred. So um, in that, when you're taking a bit of po- uh, not poetic license, but prose license, <laughs> Um, can be, you know, fun, but you don't also want to include too much of it either to, you know, to steer it wrong. So, but I had, uh, I think you maybe know I had a chance to see my father as an adult. I was taken from the family after my mother's death at age three, my sister and I, and we lived in a variety of living situations until we were adopted at age seven by maternal grandparents. So I didn't see my father again until I got out of the house and, and there cloak of protection and uh, found him when I was 19 and had a chance to spend a week with him and and uh, ask him some important questions. And um, then he was killed in a homicide before I got to see him again, but was so thankful that I had that time with him. Yeah. So as friend, I will say if there is anything I can do that's helpful for you during this writing process, whether it's bring you a meal or <laughs> more coffee or whatever, or, you know, or Zena to, to hear you talk about what's going on, please feel free to include me in that circle of people who will provide whatever support you are looking for from me for that particular project because it's it's clearly it's clearly different than the writing that you've been doing in terms of the impact on you to to really put this together knowing that there's no final story of who we are you know right it's been interesting knowing that i was going to write the book i'd really never written any poems about my father and uh Probably about six months ago, I wrote a poem about him called simply, you know, Dad. And um, so as memories come back, as you're, you know, writing on something or giving it permission to take up, uh, you know, space in our our thinking, um, it's been interesting to see what memories have come about. Um, And if it's okay with you, I will go ahead and read that one. Absolutely. And this was is in the book Flash uh, Poems. Poetry and Prompts that's released from the the North Lawrence Poets. Dad, sometimes you skip over the things in therapy that are the reason you are in therapy, but the man standing silent and invisible by the door, holding his head in his hands, is my dad, and he can't speak, so I can't speak. So I sat through that session and the next and the next, mute and muted. I dream of my decapitated dad, who is the dad of my childhood reality, even before he died. His was the face cut from the boxes of photographs of my mom, siblings, and I. The headless, fatherly man was the man who kidnapped me and moved every month to keep from getting caught. We were hungry and scared and freezing, and I got tired of hearing the beatings of children and women through paper-thin walls, never knowing, not knowing. Did they hear mine, too? But I know he had a head. He laid it in my lap one time when I was five, and I touched his beautiful auburn hair, smoothed it away from his face. I saw it again at 19 when I tracked him down. This was years after Kansas decided Colorado wasn't the place I should live, and my father should live in prison for a time. The last time I saw his head was in a coffin after his murder, but I think it was connected to his body. I didn't check. I can't be certain. In my dreams, waking and sleeping, it is the headless dad I see. He stabs my grandfather to death in bed for molesting me. He looks over my shoulder as I brush my teeth. He appears in closets in the dark, shadowy bottom of swimming pools. He is always watching, looking out for me, just as I am always looking, watching, waiting for him to give me permission to speak. And, um, you know, 
I think you're well aware that a lot of us feel like we need permission to speak about someone who's deceased um, and there's different ways that we can ask them but I finally felt that he had given me that permission and that's why I was able to write the poem and now we'll be able to write his story um, and it's one of the reasons it's so important for me I've, I think I've mentioned it before in your show is one of the times I was in St. Francis for a reading somebody came up to me on the street and asked you know did your father ever get punished for your you know killing your mother and I was just you know shocked that something that belief system was still uh, alive and unwell in yeah. in uh, you know St. Francis but um, that was the belief system because my grandparents it was the community they lived in and yeah. and um, so if nothing else I feel almost driven to do it to help um, you know free his guilt from from by association of that mm-hmm And so this, you know, as, as listeners are hearing this podcast and those of us who know you, you know, you're sharing really tender parts of yourself. And we also need to recognize these are parts. These are part of your experience. They don't all in themselves define who you are as a person, you know. You, you and I, I think maybe it's partly me, bring out sort of the serious part of the conversation and we could just as easily be having conversation about silly and fun and romantic and you name it things. And so to demonstrate that, I wonder if you would like to share some poetry that's that's of a different flavor than what we've been talking about because... It's, it's just like when I think of Annette Billings, I think of the range of the poem about the mom in Orlando and her last experience of her son who was killed. And I think of her poem, Peach, which is, oh, so. Absolutely. <laughs> Very different. And yeah, one's extremely sensual and the other yeah. one is. That's so heartfelt, and you would yeah. no no doubt believe that it was she who had lost lost the son. Uh, yeah. Beautiful work, and she just is yeah. outstanding. I'm going to read a poem I have entitled "In Japan." That's from my book Water Signs. Um, I, as you know, work with children, and I learned a long time ago um, that children keep me safe um, because of my mom's suicide when I was three, um, you know, it was something that I uh, struggled with, with suicide feelings for quite some time. And then uh, I appreciated that, particularly once I had my two children who are my world, that um, children keep me safe, that in no way, shape or form would I ever want, you know, to do to children what, what I had gone through. So working with children has been a life lifesaver for me um, and they have given so much back so this is called in Japan today I return to work and the bright faces excited ears and eyes of the children I teach and learn from as we re-enter each other's worlds I'm crying the recent loss of an uncle brings fatigue draws emotion from my exhausted being I've shut down emotionally the past two weeks too many other things to be done to allow emotion to get in the way not knowing what the children have been told about my absence, I simply ask, do you know why I've been gone? Excited responses, hands waving in the air. Yes, you went to Japan. I laugh. <laughs> it, feels good. <laughs> it feels good to be among imagination and simplicity. I look forward to researching Japan so I can share the details of my absence with them. <laughs> So I was expecting when I got back from staying with my uncle as he passed away, you know, for the children to, you know, be, have been told, you know, yeah, Rhonda's, you know, going to be sad. She had a loss. And instead I thought, well, rather than risk, you know, telling them what they should know, I'll just ask what they know. And uh-huh. <laughs> so one little one, yes, he went to Japan. <laughs> now, I don't know if he was actually told that by somebody. <laughs> But I loved it. <laughs> and, you know, I I find that again and again, um, it's just impossible to be 
sad for any length of time around children. And I can remember even uh, an aunt of mine saying one time after the, the death of my mom, I was three and my brother was four and my sister was five. And they said, you know, she said, it was just very hard to be sad because you guys were acting ridiculous and doing kid things. And yes. it is true. I mean, they just really pull us through into all types of emotions and besides keeping us very busy. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah they've, yeah, they've been a wonderful factor in my life. Yes. And, and as you talk about, you know, the comment about how you all as kids were, because kids are in the moment and they're processing things as they can in the ways that they do. And, and I think about a story of our mutual friend, Rose Aslan Foster. And, and I, and I will think I will always remember this, her talking about after the funeral of Gordon, her beloved husband and the father of Sam and Georgia, their dear friend, Kevin Wilmot, scooped up all the kids and took them bowling so they could do something. You know, they needed to do something. They didn't need to stand around with a bunch of adults being sad. Absolutely. That's the right thing. And it was wonderful for everybody. Yes, it helped Rose a great deal as well. That's just the type of thing where um, I know whether you're going through a divorce or a, a death or some other type of loss. Um, you know, adults can get bogged down in their own grief to the point that we're not able to look out of it and see how our actions may be affecting the little people in our lives. So for somebody else, a friend or a loved one, neighbor to step in and, and gift those children and that person, um, you know, the ability to not only be able to really let their grief out, because sometimes we try to hold it in, um, but to give those everybody some joy um, is a, a wonderful gift. So yes. that's an important one to bring up and to remind people that if, if not all else fails and they don't know what to say, that's just a great thing to do, to just say, hey, let's you know go for a walk in the park or you know yes. picnic or movie or bowling, whatever that might yes. be. So yes, yes wonderful suggestion. Yeah, yeah. So we are almost at the end of our hour, just two minutes left of an official hour. You listed about 5,000 things that you're going to be doing, places people can hear you, books they can buy. So, <laughs> so those, are, those are documented um, more uh, easy, easily for people to remember through the Facebook pages. And, and of course, on the Talk With Me post about this show, I'll, I'll share those links and People can remember it's Rhonda, R-O-N-D-A Miller. And so you can find um, her, there's a personal page as well as the poetry page on Facebook. You know, lots of things you'll find if you Google her, Kansas Authors Club. I mean, we want people to know that they have access to these wonderful things that you're talking about. And, and I continue to say to people, buy books. It's such a wonderful thing to actually have and hold that book in your hand. You know, you've heard a couple of poems from Rhonda, three poems from Rhonda, very different um, from different books that she has written and the upcoming memoir. You know, one way that we show how important and meaningful anything is, including art, including written art, is by spending some money with that, you know. So, so I encourage people to to buy the books, um, and always as close as you can to the person who wrote them, um, as opposed to through the big vendors online. <laughs> Absolutely, we prefer you buy from you know locally the Raven Bookstore or uh, Alan Plum City Bookstore in Emporia, um, the Ravens and Lawrence or direct from the author or from the publisher if yes. they're a, you know, a local Kansas press like Metal Art Books. I mean, yes. they do uh, you know, have links that are available that you can purchase, and then you can also get a signed copy, which is nice. Yeah, it's very nice. It's very nice. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for saying, hey, let's talk about this stuff. There's good stuff going on. Um, I, I think it's delightful for people who are writers to have gotten a glimpse of things you said that that will let them get reminders for their own writing, for for others to appreciate writing is work in the sense of it takes attention, it takes skill, it takes practice, it takes ongoing learning. 
it doesn't just pop out finished and fabulous. <laughs> and so, <laughs> we wish. <laughs> yeah, that is part of the buying of books is, is saying in that way to that writer, I really appreciate what you have to say. Um, so, so do that, do that. Thank you, Marcia, for all of your encouragement in the world of voice in our community and everywhere. Very welcome. So listeners, you, you've got some hints as, as to some things to do. And, and the overarching one is always, you know, be the goodness. Be that kind, supportive person like Rhonda is with the kids and adults whose paths that she crosses, you know. Connect with people. Be out in the community and and say hello, smile. Talk to somebody that you don't already know. Those things that you never know how much impact that may have on that other person. And I'll tell you, it'll be good for you too. And as I'm talking about people, I want to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show. Daniel and I have been doing this together for a long time, and people wouldn't hear us unless Daniel was doing his work for this. So thank you very much, Daniel. And thank you and so long to our listeners. <laughs>